Well, hey, it is a, it is a glorious morning, isn't it? Amen. Every morning is because God gave it to us. It's part of His creation. But boy, it's just great to get a splash of what this kind of day is. And hey, I like 80 degrees. I'll take it any day. Now, I know some of you like it in the 70s, but um, I'll, I'll take it when we have sunshine, blue skies, and of course, then ask me that in July or something. <laughs> Thank the Lord that we are here. We have the health to be here. We have our voices and we have our uh, feet and our hands and everything that it takes to, to get us here and and to be able to proclaim the glory of God. Now, uh, last week we finished the book of Mark. And it occurred to me this week, oh my, we have to start some other kind of study. But we're not starting a new book this week. And maybe not next week. Just kind of take a little bit of a breather before we get into uh, other things. But um, what we're going to be talking about this week is uh, really what we were talking with the kids there. We have three enemies. And of course, we know that the world, the flesh, and the devil is what we deal with every day. Constantly battle against those enemies. And uh, we sometimes fall short of that glory of God. We, we are not perfect. One of these days we will be glorified creatures and we will not fall short of the glory of God and we will never sin again. Everything will be perfect and we will be holy, perfectly holy like Christ is because of what He's done for us. So, anyway, that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Uh, when, when you think of uh, Trinity... What do you think of? You think of uh, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times we like to concentrate on just one and we forget the rest of the Trinity. We might think of God the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. and uh, Or we might focus on Christ and forget about the Father and forget about the Spirit. And we need to concentrate on the whole triune God. When we read, we put on our... Trinitarian glasses, right? Um, Sometimes we might just focus on Satan. Satan did this. Satan did that. He made me do this. (laughs) Satan is is all around and he's in everything. And uh, whatever happens, uh, if it's bad, then it's Satan did it. And uh, there, therefore, we get into uh, what the Flip Wilson theology, you know. The devil is everywhere. Or, you know, the world, we get into the uh, Amish mentality, maybe. And uh, to get a little spiritual, we give up certain things to make us more spiritual. Not that that in, in itself is wrong. But if we don't use a certain appliance, or if we don't dress a certain way, or use a certain technology, and we can use it 50 years from now, but not now, <laughs> then we'll be better spiritually. That makes somehow makes somebody more spiritual. Uh, I won't use a car for that's worldly. I'll use a buggy. <laughs> I'll go back and think of the days when the world used those, and that wasn't worldly then. Right? <laughs> um, so to get spiritual, we give up certain things and we concentrate on, on the world. It, it's a it's a three-point attack. The world, the flesh, and the devil. It's just like we need to see the Trinity in equal value, we need to see that our enemy, enemies, are of the same way. The problem is with all three. When we understand the very interplay with the world, the flesh, and the devil, we uh, will start to understand the sinfulness of sin, where it comes from, and what it is. Uh, Our uh, nature is radical uh, nature of sin. We're radically depraved creatures by by nature. Everything about us is uh, the radical nature. We are just hemmed in the world, the flesh, the devil. And that is all three that uh, combine against us. Now, we're going to be basing uh, our major text today out of Ephesians 2, but we're going to be going into the Old Testament in the book of Judges also. Uh, Let's read Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead. I like to pause there. 
there are people that like to do things with this word to make it fit their own theological system. And all of a sudden, it's, it means, well, sick. Really bad sick. Terminally ill. Maybe sinking in the ocean. And I'm going to have to, to grab a lifesaver. You know, I'm going to have to do that. So that's some of the uh, thoughts that people do with, uh, with that. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. There's one enemy. We, we walked according to this world. Here's a second enemy. According to the prince of the power of the air. So there is the Satan. So we have the world, we have Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. And there's our third enemy. They're all within two verses there. The world of flesh and the devil. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. That's what we have to emphasize. That was our nature. That's who we were. Not just what we did, but who we were. We were children of wrath by nature. Uh, we served the lust of the flesh, indulged in the flesh, the mind, everything about us, you know, was, was that way. Among them we too. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Remember our nature. It took His grace took Him to enliven us, to regenerate us, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. He's already graced us richly, hasn't He? But in the ages to come, He might show this surpassing riches that go beyond any kind of thought we have. Wow. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can boast in the Lord our God, though, as we say. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians. I want to tell you, one of my favorite books in all the Bible. You guys know that, don't you? Of course, Romans is right there, too. And then, but I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, really, sixty-four others. Yeah. But I will tell you, this is so precious. I think to all of us, because it shows our position in Christ. It shows our position before our practice. It shows the orthodoxy in the first three chapters, and it shows orthopraxy in the second half. In the first half, it shows our calling where we've been put. He called us into that. In the second half, it deals with our conduct. In the first half, it deals with the indicative. This indicates where we are. And then in the second half, it's the imperatives, the commands. This is who you are. Now this is what you can do. You are empowered. You can do this now. What God has done through Christ that we see in the first three chapters. And we deal with Christ's headship over His body. Christ is totally head over this church. At the end of the second half of chapter 2, we see the unity of Christ's body in Christ. The unity of His people. And it's all about the people giving Him glory to the head.
So it's crucial to understand the indicatives, which means who you are. Uh, I would love to always take a brand new Christian through the book of Ephesians. One of the best discipleship books there is, and it shows it's not works. It is works because of what God gave you already. But it's first of all who you are in Christ. This is what Christ did for you. And that's what we see in that first half. Men by nature, by their very nature, from the very day they're born, do not want to give glory to God. Therefore, they fall short of the glory of God as we just talked with the kids earlier. And that's sin. That's because of their nature. We have a problem. We are hemmed in on every side. And Ephesians 2 says, here's your problem. They have the world, the flesh, and the devil that's battling against you. And that's a major problem. Our desires naturally are warped. And they love to go to different places away from God. Always. That's the nature of man. Man desires to sin. Man loves to sin. That is who he is. The world, the world is opposed to God. The world is a system. We're not talking about the globe, but we're talking about a system. The world system is opposed to God at every turn. If you have recognized that lately in our in the political realm, it wasn't too hard to figure that one out, was it? Almost everything stands against God. It's all upside down. And whether it be um, in the government, how about in the schools, they stand against many things that we so much hold dearly. And you go on and on in, in all the institutions of the world system. It opposes God, proudly opposes And the thing is, is we have to understand this. We don't get mad at them. We battle not against the people. We do battle against the world system. We battle not against flesh and blood, right? Aristotle said something like this, Does a fish know he's wet? (laughs) Not until you take him out of the water. That's the way people are. They don't know. They are by nature sinners. We sin because we are sinners or we're sinners because we sin? What's the deal? Actually, we, we sin because our nature is that we are sinners. That is our nature. And we are born in the world. This is what we were born in. We were born in this world. We were born in this world system. It's all we know. This is what we know when we're first born into it. And then we have to go to a 1 John passage. 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Here's what it says about the world. Here's what Christians are to do. Do not love the world. He gives us a negative imperative here. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever and not in this world system. Thank the Lord. And that enemy will be removed. The world so easily captivates us. Even as Christians, we still have that enemy. We're so captivated by the things that are going on there, all the offerings that come out. But yet, we're not to love the world. What we're going to do this morning for much of the time is look at a character 
who by his nature was converted by a new nature that God put in him. This individual was an example of faith. And I'm using one that would be one of the least amount of faith stories that we'd want to use. (laughs) name is Samson. You see, he's an example of a sinner saved by grace. He's an example of someone who was chosen by God before even his birth, even in the womb, before that. He has a mission to fulfill, and God is going to use him. But it has been said, he is a mirror of our fickle state. As I read this story, I go, you know what? There is a Samson in all of us. There is something to learn from Samson. Because sometimes our sinful self, and even if you only sin once a day, I bet it's more. You've just not given glory to God. You have lived for yourself. Even when you have just a tint of limpid anger. And it's not righteous anger. You know what you've done? You've fallen short of the glory of God. You know what? You've had a little bit of Samson in you because you've just done what was right in your own eyes. And somehow we justify that, don't we? We like to justify things that we know that sin. If we go back to the book of Judges, and there's a lot written of Samson here. Actually, more than anybody in that book of Judges. Just a little bit more than Gideon. It starts in chapter 13. Verse 1 starts off with this. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Of course, the theme of Judges is that they did what was right in their own eyes. But it was evil in sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and born no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. We don't see her praying for a son. We don't see her desiring to have a son or a daughter. She probably did. It doesn't say that. But the angel just appears and says this. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive, give birth to a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. What a great promise. God has great plans for this one that He has chosen. He is His. He is His instrument. If you look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you will see that He is found in that chapter, which is the hall of faith. Samson was a man of faith. You remember we read in Ephesians that faith is a gift of God because he couldn't work it up himself because he's like anybody else. He has a depraved nature. But then God has this plan for him. Anyway, the woman goes to tell her husband and then he didn't get to see that hear it and then um, anyway he wants the angel to come back and he wants this verification and such and you don't blame him you know she she just had a vision <laughs> a little bit hard to understand what's going on but uh, there are Nazarite vows he's set apart he, he is to be sanctified and uh, so they're going to raise him up in the way that um, he should go They should train him in what the Lord has already given him, bent him towards. It's kind of interesting. Just a little throw-in here. Um, It says in in verse 12, when Manoah 
is uh, dealing with uh, this angel. and uh, Of course, you have the, the woman. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? That's interesting that he'd say that. Because it's already been said. Here's what it is. And he's going to take these vows, these Nazarite vows, these separation vows. And the Scripture has already been written. Deuteronomy is there. They know Deuteronomy. The Word has been given. And you know what? He really doesn't get the answer that he's looking for. It's already been given. You know, the Word is there. The Word of God is there. Just do what the Word says. So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine, or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. That's... That's really what, uh, while she's having this pregnancy, she's not to have any of that. It's not to be even touched or even close to him while he's in the womb. Then Manoah said to the angel, Lord, please let us disdain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. And winds up giving the sacrifice. Well, I'm sure that they train him up, the things of God. Um, Samson knows God. And uh, we see in verse 24, the woman gave birth to a son, named him Samson. The child grew up. The Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadon between Zorah and Eshtetol. Okay, the Lord blesses him. The Spirit begins to stir in him. He's a believer. And we know in Hebrews 11, that's a fact. This is a believer saved by grace through faith, and that not of himself, it's a gift of God. And then we get into chapter 14. Chapter 13 is what God said he was to be like and to do. This is his new nature. Only thing is, he has three enemies also, like we do. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back, told his father and mother, and I I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? I thought we taught you better. Don't you know better? You know, there's a lot of things that we know that to be true. People can use a verse and say, hey, listen, you need to check this out. And you still want to do whatever you want to do and you're going to do it anyway. That's where Samson's at. doesn't matter. I'm sure they had already taught him that. I mean, every Jew knows that you don't go and mingle with the other nations, the pagan nations. Isn't there a woman amongst the Israelites? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she... And here we go. Here we go. You ready? She looks good to me. You you need to go and take a wife from your own people. That's what Scripture says. We know what the Bible says. Be not unequally yoked. Believer with believers, right? She's not a believer, but he's going to do it anyway. Get her for me, for she looks good to me. That's the problem. That's the problem. Now, this man is set apart by the electing grace of God, and he's regenerated. And you say, What went wrong? What went wrong here? Samson, what's, what's the, you know the truth. Now, he didn't have 1 John to turn to back at that time, but he knew what was true. We turn to 1 John and talk about don't love the world. She's a picture of the world. The Philistines are a picture of the world. And, of course, they were uh, people very advanced technologically. A lot of things to really look at there, but they have a woman who really looks good. I'm sure they probably had plenty That's where he winds up going a lot. Of course, he fought them. But what led Samson astray from God? He lived by sight. 
and not by faith. He has faith in God, but he's not living the faith in God. We live by faith and not by sight. How often we want to see things. People out in the Christian realm want to see one thing after another. They want to see one marvelous thing after another. They want to see it with their own physical eyes. And we don't often see the physical things, the manifestations that God can do and does do, but He doesn't usually do that because He says we live by faith. We trust in Him. Why are we going through such things? So we trust in Him. You can say, yeah, but if I had Him before me right now, where I could talk with Him, I could live this Christian life a lot better. Well, look back in the Old Testament. Those guys had visions of God. See, the problem goes down to living by sight. Living by sight and not by faith. That's a real problem. We struggle every day. And we struggle... Will I live by what the world would like me to? Or will I live by what the Word of God and the Spirit says to me? If you're a Christian, you know better. You know better. We know better when we know what the Word of God is. That's why we are to be renewed. And you can say, okay, I know for sure this is not what God is wanting me to do. Well, this is why Samson is in here. Because he is a strong warning to not to love the world. As it says in 1 John 2, right? Do not love the world. I would like to propose this. That Samson, and it's been said, I didn't make this up. Samson is regarded as the patron saint of American Christianity. We can laugh, all right? And then we go, oh, I'm American. I'm a Christian. I'm in the world. I don't want to be of it, but I'm here. This is part of the the plan. I have flesh that is weak. And the devil is there. The, the enemy really, really like to strike. The American Christian today does what he wants. The American Christian is like where the Israelites were at the time when Samson was born. The American Christian does his own thing. Does what is right in his own eyes. He doesn't care how it affects him and his family and people around him. The American Christian lives by sight. The American Christian is strong, independent, does things on his own, doesn't need the church. He's actually weak. The American Christian is really weak. That's the thing. We need to realize that we are weak. Scripture tells us that we are weak and He is strong, right? The problem is is that our sin rises up in us, making us think that we are strong. That we can take on any kind of temptation that comes. It's very destructive, very distracting, and it leads us astray. So we have to be warned here by uh, our First John passage, our Ephesian passage, and our passage here in, in Judges. Uh, the information that Samson had was more than enough. He knew that he shouldn't be involved in this situation. He knew that he shouldn't be united with pagan women. People sometimes, I think today, they, they like to get into something new and they have the freedom and the liberty But what we need is the Word of God. It is to be permeating our minds. It's supposed to be who we are, what we're about. Every instant, every moment of the day, our minds focusing on the person of Christ, being renewed, being renewed daily. We need the Word. 
Samson had the word, had the word from his parents, had the word from his people and what they had taught. He didn't listen. What did he do? He looked. He saw something, someone. He looked good to me is what the problem is. He didn't listen, did he? Had the truth. Didn't listen. He looked. And so therefore, it's not surprising at the end of his life, he is blinded physically. So if he wants to go and play the physical senses, and that's what gets us into trouble, our physical senses. I'm thankful that we have senses, the five senses, aren't you? That they are to be used for the glory of God. It's like everything else. It's not surprising that at the end of his life, he is blinded. And when that's happening, when that happened to him, it's like the Lord said, okay, be now what you have been. Now, he really is a believer. Okay, you want to act like that? There you go. You've been blind to truth and obedience. You know what truth is. You've been blind to it. Now you're going to be blind all the way. He had followed his eyes. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. He looked. And that's the way it was going to be. Even though he was trying, tried to be dissuaded uh, by uh, his parents. We're besieged, I think, with advertising today. You know what advertising really does? It makes you dissatisfied in where you're at now. And so you must have something because it's you know, appealing to what? The eyes. I must have that. So we want to go out and buy something that will now fulfill us. I was content, but I saw something on a sign, on a TV, on the Internet, and I wanted it. And so I get it. Matter of fact, in First John two, it says the boastful pride of life. Actually, I think some translations will have um, prideful possessions, because once we get something, we're tempted to desire to make it something that uh, somebody doesn't uh, have, and now um, you've got them sinning. <laughs> And you want to show something, hey, I'm better than you. Look at this. Look what my money can buy. So the world and everything that begins with the eyes always wants to trump what God has said to us. Now Samson, by living with his eyes, comes to the end by giving his heart away. That's interesting. That we know that he saw this woman. And you know the story. We're not going to be able to read all these four chapters. But you know the story where he takes a wife. And that's this woman right here. Takes a wife. And of course, she pulls a trick on him because he challenged them, uh, the, the, some of the Philistine men and about the suits of clothes and stuff. Remember that? And she is going to have uh, problems from the men So she gets the truth finally out of Samson and he should have learned that lesson later on. But she keeps the pressure on him and guess what? He gives in. That was the Philistine wife, but he really didn't give his heart to her. Later on, we know in chapter 16, there are a lot of interesting things going on. He he burned the Philistine crops, the 300 foxes, this had to take some time to go out and catch foxes. I, I used to think, oh, he probably went out there in 10, 15 minutes, as strong as he is, and gathered those things up. It probably took quite some time as he put them in fences and kind of took care of them and, until he could get enough to go and burn the fields. It's almost funny how he's able to, to do this. And I think there's some justice in this. And they are the enemy, the Philistines are. God had given him some strength. But... Chapter 16, verse 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there. And you can say, oh, Dennis, you said he was a believer. Now, he's been married to this pagan wife. Okay, I'll go along with that. But this harlot, 
Uh, he's not a Christian. He's not a believer. I know it looks like that way, doesn't it? And if you read through this story, you'd almost think that this guy is... Yeah, he was supposed to be a believer, but he's not. Well, in Hebrews 11, says he's, in the, he's actually in the hall of faith. He's a man of faith. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of grace. God loves him. God was merciful to him. You can say, well, really, God really should have done something different. Should have made him lose his salvation then. God can't do that. God cannot go back on his promises. And actually, do you think this surprises God? It's not that God desires him to sin, but he's going to use this. He's using it thousands of years later. This is a great lesson for us. The Old Testament is written for us. It says in the book of Romans chapter 10, for these things for us to learn and to take warning to. I don't want to be like Samson. Not in the things that he did. But you know what? He's God's man. But he had a Philistine prostitute. Boy, it's getting low. This is really low. God, aren't you going to do something? could have. But he let him do what he wants. And so often God does that. You say, well, I get away with that, so it must be okay. God's allowed me to do it. I get away with this. Yeah. Just watch on down the road. You want to go there? You want to go down that wrong road? Well, if you keep doing what you're doing, Samson, then here's where you're going to wind up at. And then he gets Delilah. Delilah, he loves. So he has, a, he has this uh, woman that he marries, and of course he really wanted to get out with her, but uh, he, you know, that that was it. Prostitute. Delilah comes along. She's a flatterer. She doesn't love Samson. She's there to get what she can get, and she can get a lot of money for seducing him and getting the truth of his strength because he's wiped out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Philistines by this time. And they don't get it. They don't know what to do with Samson. So, they will use this harlot to get out of him what they need. What happened to Samson? We know the story, don't we? We know the story. And of course, he would, he would, she would ask him time of intimacy what's a secret of course he lied to her and then it'd make her look like a fool and the soldiers there who were in wait ready to get him did it again and again and he's pretty wise about that he doesn't want to give that secret up but you remember what I said about giving the heart away he loves her so much that he gives into her the very truth that God had given him. And he allows himself to be punished by the enemy. Israel, in the book of Judges, fell into idolatry. It was one thing for him to allow his eyes to lead him astray. That, that's bad enough, right? Okay, he's led astray. The world, then, what it can do is overwhelm our faith. It wasn't just his eyes, but it was his heart. He gives his heart away. He thought he could control his love that he had for her and still yet have the love for God. He knew he shouldn't ever tell the secret about him. He knew that would actually be betraying who? God Himself. He knew that that was against God. He had all the strength from the Lord, but he just frittered it away. He had every bit of the strength that he needed. And we know that was supernatural strength that he was able to do all those feats. My, taking the gates of a city, putting it on his back, and then going for miles and miles, running uphill. Wow! What strength did he have? That's not natural strength, is it? 
He ran a marathon with a gate, a city gate. We're not talking about a little fence gate, which would be hard enough. We're talking about a city gate. Iron and such. Wood. Very heavy. He resisted telling the secret for a while. I can do this. I know I can do this. It wasn't the Lord's strength anymore. Whose was it? It was His. It was His strength. So, she wanted Him to give what He knew to be this truth and it was going to destroy Him. Now, we're Calvinists, right? We know that He hasn't fallen from grace. We know that God who He brings into His family, will not lose. We would abandon Him at any moment. We would turn away. We can do Samson-like things. But if we're really God's, I will tell you, you're His forever. It's called eternal life. And eternal means eternal. The Lord will achieve His purpose in Samson. Although Samson is disobedient. It's not God's will that anybody would ever sin. But he's still going to use this. Samson's heart, do you think it's really near God? Do you think he loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength? No. It's far from God. He'd already been setting this up for quite some time. He loved this world. He loved what the Philistines had. Hung around him a lot. Beat a lot of them up. Killed a lot of them. But what he did was he let his very desires of his flesh, of his eyes, control. The flesh wants to control. We're talking our enemy. Wants to control us. The reason why you renew your mind and read the Word of God and be fed the Word of God and be around God's people and have fellowship and have prayer and the reason you need to do it is often because you have an enemy. I'm telling you, that's why we meet often. We need to meet more often. Because we have an enemy. If you think you can do it out there alone, just read Samson. Because that's what happens. You can say, I'm doing fine. I'm doing just fine. No, you're not. You don't know it. Samson didn't know it. He thought he was doing just fine. Man, he was living it up. Everything was going just right. God's blessing me. thing is, he didn't love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength because there were other things here that drew him. God is a forgiving God and He always forgives. But God is a chastening God. And don't ever forget it. You don't want to be caught in the chastening hand of God. Now, chastening and discipline is one thing. You know, He's teaching us. But there's another thing where there are some very difficult things that um, we might have to go through. He draws us back. He wants to draw us back from our eyes to our ears. The ears hear the Word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Hear the Word. Read the Word. Get the Word in. Let it saturate you. Be surrounded by it. Everything that you think and you do should be based upon those Scriptures and what... That's what you're about. This is what happened to Samson. God is going to draw him back. The Philistines humbled him. What did they do? What did they do? They took his eyes out. Poked his eyes out. And that wasn't with one of those Red Ryder BB guns either. (laughs) His eyes were taken out. Can't see. What was his problem? In chapter 14... He saw the woman. He looked at her. He saw what was going to cause all sorts of problems. It was a sin. You know what? The world comes in, gouges his eyes out. The world knows better. It always knows better over Christianity. Christianity is thought very lowly in our time now. And it's going to be thought of even more lowly. Because the very moment you even think a thought that homosexuality is evil and against God, if they can read your mind, they might arrest you. But if you dare say it on the street here in Jeff City, I would have to wonder, if not you'd be arrested, that a lot of people would be doing 
some things to you that would be rather unpleasant. Maybe with their mouths. And uh, shaming you for saying something that was against God. I think we've come to that time now that you don't say anything against certain sins. Whether it would be where, where a homosexual was or not. This goes out over the internet. I will tell you, somebody could listen to this and hear what I'm just saying right now in these last few seconds and they, the thought police, could come in and get me and arrest me because of hate speech, right? Everybody knows about this. That's where we're at now. That is what has happened. The world wants to triumph over God. We represent God. We are divine ambassadors from heaven representing the very kingdom from where we actually are are going to be living the rest of our lives for eternity. We're representing that. Samson is going to be brought to a point where he prays. He's a man of faith. A man of faith will pray. He can say, this, this man has done all this, took an taken a foreign wife and then committed uh, sex with a prostitution with a harlot and then this Delilah thing you know you know what's going on there um, he prays he didn't pray for deliverance he didn't pray to get his eyes back not even about himself, but he wanted justice. And that's why God appointed him from the very outset that he wanted justice. He wanted him to use the strength that he has to help start defeating the enemy. And actually, that has happened. He was brought to this place, had the columns, people are meeting there, Thousands of people. Huge place. This is the world. It's the worldly meeting where people are coming together and they're rejoicing in their own thing. And the Philistines rejoice in Dagon, the fish god. Can you imagine bowing down before a fish? A fish! A fish! There he knows better. He knows. And verse 28 of chapter 16. Then Samson called to the Lord. Amen. About time. O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just this time. O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistine for my two eyes. Bring about justice. He's been brought to this place. They want to make fun of him. He wasn't there. He was there, you know, with the oxen and they're going round and round. (laughs) But now, they bring him up in front of the crowd. And this is going to be part of the entertainment. Look, a Christian. Let's make fun of him. The Roman Colosseum. Remember when they used to do that? Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and braced himself against them, the one with his right hand, the other with his left. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Thousands. Then his brothers and all his father's household came down took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. Thus, he had judged Israel 20 years. Judges 16.31 He was buried in the land of promise with his fathers, with the people of faith. He was buried with them. He wasn't to be buried with the Philistines the uncircumcised Philistines be encouraged. 
A man of faith repents. Wants justice. If Samson can be drawn back from the love of the world, we can be too. If John says it, love not the world, that means that we sometimes do love the world, don't we? How am I letting my eyes and my desire for things in the world? How am I am I letting that run my life and run away from the Lord? Am I am I giving my heart away to the world instead of God? God is serious. He says, do not love the world. Why should we not love the world? Well, it says in 1 John 2, the world is passing away. (laughs) Amen. Our enemy is passing away. God triumphs. We do have victory. In the meantime, let's have more victory. Don't let the world beat us. You know what? Those Philistine women don't look so good today, do they? All that stuff that we get attracted to. Well, folks, that's the world. You can say, what are we going to do? We're near the end here. What about the flesh and the devil? Well, we kind of talked about it. We'll just hit just a little bit. In Ephesians 2, and we just, we're just we still in verse 2. Ephesians 2, where we started. But the rest of it goes quick because that pretty well covered most of it. The devil, evil spiritual forces, all the demons. Matter of fact, sometimes we can overestimate the demonic world and say they do everything. And, and matter of fact, we put them equal with God. And <laughs> that's a laugh because they are created beings. God has absolute control over those enemies at any time that He wants. Sometimes we underestimate the enemy and actually say that, oh, they don't really have much to play with in my life or anybody else's life for that matter. Demonic forces actively working and trying to keep us satisfied with the world. You see how Satan played a key role in Samson's life, but did you ever see did you see Satan's name mentioned there? You don't really see that, do you? But boy, he was having a field day with Samson because he didn't even have to come in and possess him. He said, Go at it. The world, you're attracted to it. Go for it, man. Look what I've set up for you here is what he's saying. It's, it's his world. He's the prince of the power of the air. Sometimes he doesn't actively or seemingly actively have to be involved in your life to be destroying you. He uses the world. He uses the flesh. Sometimes he goes behind the scenes. What about the flesh? It's what the body wants to do. It wants to do what the flesh commands. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. The mind. We are to renew our mind. Why? Because the mind wants to go where the flesh goes. Where does the flesh want to go? Well, it's our enemy. We were not innocent when we were born. When you were born, you had fleshly desires. You were alienated from God. You didn't love God when you were first born. Matter of fact, the devil... And the world didn't even have to seek you out because you are in the flesh. We are incarcerated in the flesh. This is our enemy that really is the one that lets the others in. The devil knows your name. You know his voice. The world is a comfortable place to be. I like comfort, so therefore I will have comfort all the time, no matter what. You know what? People who do not believe in original sin, ready for this? They don't have children. (laughs) Now, this is actually almost something that you can laugh at, but it's so true. Because if you know children, you can see that there's sin in little children. I've, I've heard some people say about babies that, oh, they are perfectly innocent and they don't have sin until they start sinning. There are denominations today. I think most of our denominations today would say that they don't become sinners until they actually sin. I was talking with Zach Whitson back there and uh, coming from a, a, a Southern Baptist position. They're... Uh, I'm not saying all Southern Baptists are that way because there are Calvinist Southern Baptists. Thank the Lord for them. 
But some of them gotten so man-centered that that's is that what they say, Zach? That uh, you don't you're not a sinner until you sin. That is not biblical. That's not even close. But you know what? I think we all grew up thinking that. And I want to take you back. Well, you know, uh, little children—they're not little angels. They're not little angels at all. <laughs> there, I got somebody to agree with there. <laughs> somebody said this: they're vipers in a diapers. <laughs> you come into this world, you can barely open your eyes. You come into this world and you can barely hold your head up, or you can't hold your head up till later. Matter of fact, you come into this world, you can't sit up. You come into this world, you can't talk. You can't crawl. You can't walk. You can't do any of that stuff. But you know what? But and everybody knows this. You can let everybody know that you're running things around here. They're very selfish. It's all about them. And they will let you know about it, won't they? They ain't going to cry. Man, it happens early. Real early. The demand happens real early. Stiffening up of the body, that happens early. You know what that is? That's sin. That's natural. That's who we are until... Christ comes in and makes us new. One of the reasons God makes us... this I think Vadi Bottom said some of this. One of the reasons God makes us so small is because they can't kill you. <laughs> and one of the reasons He makes them so cute to us you won't kill them. <laughs> We were sinners. We were desperate for radical redemption. Ephesians 2 says we were dead. Dead, dead, dead. Corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. How much better of a word can you use? Modern church of the day. Arminians, please, take the word for what it means. It's not that we need just a little help. Smiling Joel down there in Houston says sinners don't need to be told that they are sinners. <laughs> My. Yes, they do need to be told they are sinners. That is their problem. And they need a holy God. Mistakes? It's just a mistake. I made a mistake. Oh, I made a bad choice. That's the word for sin today. Remember when we were talking earlier with the kids? We need to use the word sin because it's biblical. Bad choice uh, is because of the environment. I made the bad choice. Bad habits. Messed up. Messed up. Yeah, I just got messed up. But they'll never say, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I repent. You know what Ephesians 2 says? That we are children of wrath. Wow, God, can't you give us a little break here? No, He's got to tell us the truth. We need good news. Children of wrath. We're we're under the influence of the world. The world opposes God. Do we not know that? We need to be saved, though, from God. That's the biggest... He said, what? How about the world, the flesh, and the devil? And death? Sin? Yeah? But we need to be saved from God because He is a God of justice and He has to bring on wrath. So therefore, we have to be saved from the wrath of God. And that's why when we get into Ephesians 1.4, you see, if, he was, if He's just, He has to bring sin to its knees. Ephesians 2 4. But God. After he says, We are children of wrath. And it's all God, folks. And the moment you say, But but I I I, I said this, I, I repented, and, and I, I believed. 
Yeah, what, you, you're better than your neighbor? Why did you believe? You just come out of that death? You wake yourself up? You decide to be born again? You can't be any more born again than the way you decided to be born the first time. But God, being rich in mercy, what does mercy mean? You deserve the wrath of God. He called His children a wrath. This is an unpopular message. What would happen if I'd go into a liberal church today and read Ephesians 2? I think they would want to tear it out of the Bible. Oh, it says that? Zip! Take it right on out. doesn't mean that. God is not that way. God is a God of love. But He first tells us that He's a God who judges sin. That we are children of wrath. And he, we have to have His mercy. His mercy. So that we would not get what we deserve. You need to be 